exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Good evening. It is Tuesday night, and you are listening to Impact Exposure. I'm Lindsay, filling in for Emily tonight. And first up, we are joined by the cast of Town, which will be opening in Lansing. Um, if you guys could go around and introduce yourselves. I'm Kelly Stiebel, and I'm the director. I'm Michael Zamora. I play Bobby Strong. I'm Danielle Weller, and I play Hope Cladwell. Okay. And, um, Kelly, why don't you just give us a little bit of what the play is about? The play is about a town where there is a terrible water shortage that left to, that led to a drought that led to a ban on private toilets. And so public toilets are only allowed, and they are run by a greedy company. And so the, the poor are oppressed, and from them rises Bobby Strong to lead them for their freedom. It's kind of like, uh, like Les Mis. It's Ish. it's a yeah it's a revolutionary, but but very different. <laughs> okay, and where is the set in? Where is the where is the play um like supposed to be in? Is it in America or is it in Europe? Yeah. Oh, it's in America. Yeah. Okay, and um what this is a musical, right? Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Okay, and it's a Tony Award winning musical, right? So when will it be opening here? We actually had our first weekend this past weekend, and we have three performances left this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Okay. And what time are those at? They're all at 7 o'clock, and they're at Holt Junior High. Okay. And now tell me a little bit of how um, you got involved in this, Kelly. Um, I actually graduated from Holt back in 2001, and I went away to Central and got my degree, and when I moved home, um, I knew some friends. This They had just started up Holt Diamonddale Community Players, and I knew some friends involved, so... I went and auditioned for a show, and I got a part in that one, and i just kind of been working with them ever since. Okay, and Danielle, how did you get involved in this? 
Well, this is my first community show production that I'm being a part of, and um, I was in a show at State, and then I um, did musicals in high school, so um, I really auditioned for this just because I had seen You're in Town when it was at Wharton a few years, a few years ago and thought it was just about the funniest show I had ever seen and still thought about it from time to time of how funny it was. And so when I heard they were having auditions, I thought I had to audition. Okay. And it's a satire, too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how did you get involved in this as well? Um, I am actually in a choir with Kelly, and we were in Little Shop of Horrors together. So um, when she said she was directing You're in Town, it's one of my favorite musicals. I've always wanted to be in it. And I was like, there's the opportunity of a lifetime. So jumped at it. Okay. And how is this different from maybe any other musical that you may have seen? Um, why is it a little bit more special than those to each of you? It's it's very, very silly, but not in a stupid way. Um, it's it, it basically makes fun of music theater, and so people that love music theater will appreciate all the jabs that it pokes at the classics. People who don't like music theater because they think it's kind of ridiculous, they'll appreciate it because it kind of you know exposes how ridiculous it is, and it's filled with big dance numbers and great music, and it's just a lot of fun. Okay. Um, for me, it's... It's like Broadway at its best. It's a wide vocal range for everybody in the show. Um, the chorus is involved in almost everything, which is a big thing for me. I love that when you can be in a show and be involved with everybody all the time. So um, I guess that's why it's great to me. Yeah, in addition to there being a wide vocal range, there's a wide range of characters in the show, yeah. characters that have all different types of personalities. And um, also there's a lot of tricks with the characters, people that you think might be exactly you think you've got them pegged as one thing they end up being completely different or they have completely different intentions than you could have imagined so it's really interesting that way okay and what are your favorite songs in the play for each of you mine is definitely it's called run freedom run and it's a setup of like a big gospel hands clapping in church number and it's just it's great and it's funny and yeah you cannot like just sit there and not clap your hands and tap your feet you can't sit still I would say either Run, Freedom, Run or Look at the Sky. Those are two of my bigger numbers in the show. Okay. And what is Look at the Sky about? Look at the Sky is kind of the beginning of the revolution that I start. So, well, that Bobby starts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my first favorite song is Follow Your Heart because that's when Bobby and I fall in love. But my second favorite song is Don't Be the Bunny. Uh, just because when I saw the show for the first time, that was my favorite song, and I thought it was very funny, and I would think about it from time to time and think of how real it really is and how true to life it is. So, Okay. And what is the most difficult part in being in a production like this? Probably the time commitment. Jeez, oh, Pete. <laughs> oh, my gosh, we're practicing every night from 7 to 10, 10.30. I mean, you know, and these are people that all have day jobs that have a lot going on in their personal life and, um, you know, really are involved people. And um, there's quite a few of us that all work together at Jackson National. And we, um, so we all have day jobs that are 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 or whatever. And um, just really busy people to fit all of this in. But it's worthwhile because it's a lot of fun and everybody in the show is a lot of fun. Just the amount of work that goes into it, especially as the director. Um, this is my first time directing, and especially these past couple weeks, just everything, all the last-minute bits and pieces just kind of snowballed, and it was just, all of a sudden I was just overwhelmed, but then my cast got up on stage, and they're, they're amazing, and so it, it was all worth it, every minute of it. I would have to agree with both of them. Um, the time commitment is the biggest thing. You know, she said there are people with day jobs, and I've been in theater and 
a few different areas, and this is probably one of the most committed areas to theater. The Lansing theater community is amazing. I've never seen as many people with the drive that the people have around here for theater. And it's wonderful to do shows around here, and I've had nothing but compliments from people that I've been in theater with around the country that have said, that have come to see us and said, this is, this could stand up to Broadway any day. This could stand up to New York stage or Chicago stage. And it's wonderful to be around these people all the time. So how long did you prepare for opening night? I've been working on this project for a year and a half, almost two years now, from conception to casting to rehearsals to everything. Um, we started work with the cast um, right around New Year's, so it's been about three months. Okay. Two months. That's exciting. And how did opening night go? Our first weekend just went amazing. Um, the cast did great. The audiences loved it. We had nice big houses. Uh, people seemed to really enjoy themselves. And what is your favorite part about being on stage? It's an adrenaline rush. It's it's like no other feeling you've I've ever had before. Um, you can do a lot of different things. You can go skydiving or, you know, anything. And it doesn't compare to the feeling you get when you're on stage, just having somebody listen to you and, and appreciate what you're doing. I guess the biggest thing is the appreciation of it. I appreciate it so much because this is what I want to do. So... Plus, I think there's just a huge sense of camaraderie among the cast. And, um, I mean, I auditioned for this show knowing, I think, one person, well, Kate, and then I knew Kelly, but I really didn't know anyone else in the show. And now I feel like everyone in the cast, and we have a big cast of 22, are, are good friends. And, I, you know, I'm happy to see them every night at rehearsal. And, uh, Danielle, you said this is your first big production like this. In community theater, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. What um, was the most nerve-wracking part the first opening night? Like, what were you most nervous about? Oh, well, I guess, you know, I tried to keep myself from getting nervous by not looking at the audience and not paying attention to who was there. Probably the most nerve-wracking part was that my boyfriend was in the audience and I was <laughs> nervous about him seeing me. Um, but no, I mean, like I was saying, the camaraderie and everybody being friends, it's like you, you know you can't make too bad of a blunder on stage because someone will help you and someone will make sure that the show gets back on track. And I don't know, when you're among friends, you can't, yeah. can't make too bad of a mistake. Okay, and as a director, what was your biggest nerve-wracking factor in the opening night? I, I wasn't really nervous. I was I knew that the cast was going to pull off what they needed to do. Um, there were you know there were some technical odds and ends, light sound, that kind of thing. But I was I was really confident in what was going to happen. And like Danielle said, I mean, this is this is basically just playtime on stage. The nature of it show itself. There's not a whole lot that takes too seriously, and so. You know, if, if something were to go wrong, somebody would just jump up and do something ridiculous and you wouldn't be able to tell and it would just go on. Okay, so what is next for the three of you? What do you have planned for the upcoming after you're in town? I don't know yet. I might take a little break. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all use a break. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right. Now, um, you said that you had been in other plays before this. What other productions had you been a part of? Uh, I was just in Little Shop with Kelly and Kate, and I've been in Les Mis and um, Guys and Dolls, other big number productions like that. Now, this is in community theater in Lansing or all over the place? Um, some of them were community theater. I've been in um, professional theater with Les Mis. Okay. Now, besides your own characters, who are your favorite characters in this play and why? Probably Miss Pennywise, because she's absolutely delightful. 
Okay. And what is what is her role in the play? Um, she runs one of the public amenities, so one of the bathrooms. Um, and she's just uh, a hard-nosed businesswoman who takes no nonsense. And um, she has a beautiful voice and is uh, a really gifted singer, so she's a delight to listen to as well. Okay. Um, I like Becky Two Shoes and Little Sally. Okay, and their roles are? Um, they're pretty much completely opposite. Little <laughs> Sally is kind of like the little kid that is always asking questions. She's one of our narrators kind of throughout the whole show. And uh, Becky Two Shoes is kind of a brute. She <laughs> she beats up on people and lets people know what she's thinking at any given time. Now, is Little Sally, is that actually like a younger person doing it? No. No, but she person. fits the role perfectly. <laughs> okay. And Kelly, what is your favorite? I love um, all of the ensemble, all of the, the smaller, less featured roles, because the actors have just put so many little twists and turns, and every single night I watch it and I notice something different, and I just crack up because, you know, I, I haven't caught this in, you know, the how many months we've been rehearsing, and then all of a sudden I see somebody just doing something amazing in the back corner, and it's it's really fun to watch them kind of work as a unit and yet have such distinct personalities. Okay. And now, for someone who doesn't really go to plays usually, why do you think that this would be a good first production for someone to go see? It's, it's like I said, it's really funny. It's kind of like an SNL-type thing. It's, it's just so silly that it's, I mean, there's a lot of, like, sight humor and physical humor and stuff like that. And the music really spans different genres, and it's not your, you know, typical show tunes. There's, you know, there, there's a little bit of everything, and it's... Since it doesn't take itself seriously, you can laugh at the whole process of music theater and just randomly bursting out into song. Okay. Yeah, that's really true. And and like I was saying, I haven't really been in a community production, so a lot of the people I know in my life right now haven't come to see me in shows, and I've invited everyone I know. And people are coming who never go to theater and, you know, loved it, loved the show, think it's hilarious, love the music. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch, and the show, you know, runs really fast. It's it's you hardly It's intermission, and you think, oh... I thought it was the first act. You know, you know, mm -hmm. people have no idea. It's it's got a little bit of everything for everybody. There's love stories. There's comedy. There's always the fight scenes. Some and drama. Our, and our fight scene. <laughs> yeah, our fight scenes are funnier than anybody else's. I've got to tell you that much. So, <laughs> it's something everybody should come see. Okay. And it's good for almost all ages mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's another thing. Um, now, as theater people, what are your favorite plays, musical or non-musical? I love Les Mis. I didn't even know you were in it, Mike. I yeah. love Les Mis. Mm -hmm. um, Les Mis, this is one of my top, uh, it's in my top five for sure. Um, Songs for a New World, 42nd Street. I like big dancey shows and intimate casts also at the same time. Okay. Yeah, I could I could go on for days. Um, <laughs> I, just, I just got done this past summer doing the Full Monty at Riverwalk Theater, which is based on the movie the full monty and that was that was just an amazing musical to be a part of and to to witness and to have fun that was a good one okay but is that all, your all-time favorite i think so <laughs> yeah it's it's worth it oh come on not this show <laughs> now where were you um the first time that you saw you're in town mike I saw You're in Town opening week on Broadway. Okay, in New York. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what did you think when you first saw it? Were you like, oh, I want to be in this, or...? Actually, yes. Um, when I go to shows, that's kind of how I rate them, is if I would love to be in it or not. So when I saw it from the beginning, opening the opening act, you're like, 
this is gonna pull me in for the rest of the show. My mouth just dropped. <laughs> I agree. You can't. You can't even keep your mouth closed. No. It's so entertaining. And what's gonna happen next? And you can never guess what's coming because it's so funny. And it just it walks you through musical theater in a way that you've never been walked through before. Okay. You're either in awe or you're laughing. So your mouth is always <laughs> open. And we interact with the audience at the same time. So it's a very good show. Okay. And, um, Danielle, where were you when you first saw Your in Town? I saw it at Wharton, actually, maybe three years ago. Um, and, yeah, I just, it was the funniest show I had ever seen. Okay. And I couldn't believe how funny it was. And um, where were you, Kelly? When I you... actually saw it up at Central. Um, it was the year after I graduated, and a whole lot of my friends were in it. And I didn't get to catch it when it was here at Wharton because I was up at school. And I knew the soundtrack, and, you know, I knew, and I'd seen YouTube clips and all that. And, uh... <laughs> I knew once I, and then once I saw them do it, I saw that it was accessible for a non-professional group to do it. I mean, they were, you know, a college program, but I thought this could be done at community theater. That's really great. And so how did you decide that this was the production that you wanted to get involved in as opposed to putting on a different production? Um, I, I knew some people. It was it was kind of one of those things that was in the back of my brain, but I knew I couldn't do it until I met people that could fill, fill, fulfill certain roles. And once I met some people, I thought, this could really happen. And, it, you know, it's it's just so much fun. There's so much energy. It's just like, it's, you know, all just fun and smiles. And I, I thought it'd be really nice to bring this to, especially to Holt, where we've done more traditional family, you know, some of the classics. And I I decided it was time for us to kind of break free and try something new. That's great. And, you know, what um, was going through your head when you said you were really going to take the rein on this project and, you know, just go at it as the director? What made you want to do that as opposed to just being in it? Um, which is a good question because normally I want to be at, be in it everything and not direct. And I just, I, I could see pictures in my head. I could see, like, I want this scene to look this way. And instead of, you know, having to be that annoying person on the cast who's like, I think it should look like this, I decided I was just going to do it. I I had a really good idea of what I wanted to happen, and I wanted to see what I could do with it. Okay. And um, how did the two of you know that you wanted to get involved in this? Like, how did you find out that they were casting for it or anything like that? Actually, when we were doing Little Shop, I, I said, I would love to be in Urantown. If they ever did it in this area, I would jump in it in a second <laughs> because um, it's one of my favorite shows. I mean, guilty. I've seen it almost 15 times on, <laughs> on stage already. So, um <laughs> And Kelly was like, well, surprise, I'm actually doing it. My jaw hit the floor yet again. <laughs> it seems to do that a lot. Um, and so I was like, I'm auditioning. You let me know when and where, and I'm there. I don't care what's going on. I will cancel for that. Yeah, I agree, actually, because I had thought about auditioning for things before and sort of half auditioned for things before, and then always got cold feet and thought, no, I don't have time for this. I definitely can't do it. But You're in Town was the show. That was it. I had to do it. And let me just take a second to say, Kelly has done such a nice job directing us. When she was talking about directing, she is so positive, and she is always giving us positive reinforcement. And no matter how tired we all are or how long we've been rehearsing, she has something good to say. It makes everyone feel like... They worked hard, and she was glad, and, you know, we did a nice job. So thanks, Kelly, for, you know, directing yeah. us. Yeah. yeah, I've worked for a lot of directors, and she's probably the best I've worked for so far. Wow, Stop singing your praises. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you are listening to Impact 88.9 Exposure, and we were just here with Town. And also, if you have any questions, you can hit the instant messenger at Impact 89 FM or Impact Exposure. And we're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to be back to talk about the Horse Expo right here on Impact. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime Time. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Okay. You are listening to Impact Exposure. I am Lindsay, and I'm filling in for Emily tonight. And if you have any questions for our groups that come in, you can hit on the Instant Messenger at Impact Exposure. And right now, we are joined by Marilyn to talk about the 26th Annual Michigan Horse Council International Stallion Exhibition and Trade Show. That is a mouthful. Marilyn, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Marilyn Graff. I am the Michigan Horse Council Horse Expo Administrator and have been for, I've been involved in this expo for all 26 years in one way or another. It is an exciting event. Uh, we, when they built the, we, we, had a party when they built the finally built the new livestock pavilion on campus, and we were able to move back to Michigan State after several years in downtown Lansing, because this is a Michigan State has an agricultural background. They built a lovely facility that we delight in using each year, and we're now moving in. Our vendors are moving in. Uh, we got horse trailers put in today, tomorrow, some of the, the those with big tax stores and other equipment will start moving in, and move-in will finish up on Thursday, and Friday morning we open to the public. And we're starting Friday morning with close to 250 Lansing Christian School elementary children that we're doing a, a special program for Lansing Christian School this year. Okay, uh, and that's at the MSU Pavilion yes. on Michigan State's campus. Okay. Yes. Now, how did you get involved in the Horse Expo in the beginning? How did I get involved? Well, I'd been involved in the Michigan Horse Council from the time it began. And initially, we started a stallion show in the old pavilion at Michigan State. And where was that? It was right in front of Anthony Hall. It okay. is no longer there. <laughs> right. It is no longer there. But we held, uh, we were there for about four years, and at that time you couldn't have any commercial sales, no commercial uh, vendors in. That we just, we had a stallion show and we had a few uh, clubs, clubs and a few businesses that came in to set up displays. But then the idea was to have a larger event to help impress um, the state leg legislators on the importance of the horse industry in Michigan. 
And so we moved to the old Lansing Civic Center and were there for 11 years. Now, the Lansing Civic Center is not exactly (laughs) horse-friendly, but we managed to stall horses in the basement as they did elephants for the circus. We decided if they could stable elephants, they could certainly stable horses for us. Uh, When they decided that that was no longer available and built a new Lansing Center, we were there for two years, yeah, 12 and 13. And then for our 14th year, we moved out here to the college again. And we've been here ever since. Now tell me what the Horse Expo is all about. Okay. What um, What is the point of it? It's, it's an entertainment, educational, fun event. It's a place for horse people to come and shop, uh, for anything they might happen to want for their horse. But a good part of the program is educational. We uh, we do work closely with Michigan State, uh, with the College of... Uh, used to be agriculture. I date myself. It's uh, ag-, ag and natural resources now. And... They always do some educational pro. Some of their staff members do educational programs for us. Uh, we bring in featured people from throughout the country. This year we have Steve Edwards from Arizona who works with mules and he does all I, apparently he does some amazing things with mules, but insists that all his techniques will work on horses as well. We have um, Al Ragusen, who is now on the road hauling up from Texas with his, hor- with his dancing horse, who dances to the music he plays and sings. Um, we have um, Tom Say from Virginia, who is the host and producer of RFD-TV's Best of America by Horseback. And he does a lot of talking about trail riding uh, anywhere you can ride a horse in the the country. Uh, He's going to talk especially on preserving equestrian trails because as there gets to be more and more demand for trail usage, we have to learn how to share our trails. Uh, okay. And um, I understand that you're having a rodeo at on, this show. On Friday night, we have a rodeo put on by the Michigan High School Rodeo Association that all the contestants are high school students. Uh, in addition to the Michigan high school students, they have invited the Ontario High School Rodeo Association to participate so we are truly going to be international this year okay and now for those people who have never been to a rodeo could you just explain what it is what do, what happens at it and what is what is a rodeo mm-hmm. well they have a rodeo has two classes of events the action events and the timed events timed events are relatively easy to understand they're like barrel racing, there's a set pattern of three barrels. Uh, the horse runs the pattern. Whoever runs the fastest is the winner. 
The same with pole bending. There's a, a set pattern of eight poles in a row that they weave through and back. Fastest horse is the winner. Uh, calf roping, they rope and, and tie a calf, and again, the fastest time is the winner. The action events are the bucking horses and the bulls, and that's each contestant has to ride for eight seconds, and they're scored on, they have, there's two judges, each judge scores 25 points on the horse, 25 points on the rider. So for a perfect score, they could get 100 points. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> Uh, at our high school rodeo, scores will run in the 60s and 70s because, of course, these are these are less experienced cowboys than those on the professional circuit. But they're wonderful kids. They do a tremendous job, okay. and they are a, a great group to work with. Now, from the beginning of the Horse Expo, um, back when it was over by Anthony Hall till now, what kinds of changes have you seen in the program as a whole? Well, as we moved out of the old pavilion, the old pavilion was very limited in size. So it was very limited to what we could do. When we moved downtown to the old Civic Center, it gave us room for to hold seminars and other programs, but no room to do anything with the horses other than stand them in a stall and let people look at them. But it also gave us room for basically a trade show. Then when we moved out to the college was our big change. Now we had a big arena. We could do all kinds of things with horses, and we do. Uh, one of the things we have coming in that's just going to be fun this year is a six-horse hitch of leopard Appaloosas pulling an authentic stagecoach. Wow. And they tell me this driver is wild, <laughs> <laughs> that he comes in at a dead run and that he can do things with this hitch of horses that most people can't even dream about. So he is going to be very exciting. Now, what is special about Appaloosa horses as compared to other ones? Their color. Okay. They're flashy, showy colors. The leopard horses are white with dark spots, and the ones that he uses have lots of dark spots. Okay. And uh, do you have horses? What kind? I have, have horses. I have small-sized Appaloosas. Oh, okay. I have ponies of the Americas, which are large ponies, and we have had them for... Over 40 years. <laughs> so have you always had Appaloosas? Have you ever had any other kind of horse? I have had quarter horses. And what is the difference between Appaloosa and quarter horses? Uh, part of it is breeding. Part of it is color. Quarter horses are all solid color, and they're specific bloodlines. <coughs> Excuse me. The Appaloosas are... Our Appaloosas are basically a color breed. They have certain definitely defined bloodlines, and they trace back to certain foundation horses. But they must have some indication of, of Appaloosa color, whether it be the leopard, like I described, or they can be solid color with a blanket, white blanket over their hips, or they may just have a few white spots. Okay, and what other types of horses can people expect to see at the Expo? On our Stallion Avenue, we have about 23 different breeds, 
and everything from the the high stepping uh Pasofinos and Morgans to I think we have both a uh Clydesdale and a Belgian draft horse this year. We have everything from the tiniest mini horse to the tallest thoroughbred and pretty much everything in between. There's quarter horses, there's Athloses, there's Arabians, there's Rocky Mountain horses, there's Missouri Foxtrotters, uh, like I said, a wide variety of horses and a couple POAs. Now, what classifies a horse as a mini horse as compared to a regular horse? Um, part of it's breeding. Uh, but they can be no taller than 38 inches to the bottom hair of, of their mane. Okay. So they are, they are quite small. Okay, and... We also have some donkeys and mules coming. Oh. And okay. many donkeys. <laughs> Just like mini horses. Right. Now, um, mini horses are something new, though, aren't they? they no, been... they've been around for years and years and years and years. Really? Yes. I had never seen one until a couple summers ago. And I was so surprised because I went out to a mini horse farm, and I just was taken aback by how tiny they were. I was like, oh, my God, right. they're so tiny. They, in, in, I don't really want to say ancient times, but in in much more historic times, they were kept as royal pets. Oh, okay. They're really cute. (laughs) They are. Now, how many vendors will be at the expo? About 200. And they'll be selling, what will they be? A little bit of, if it pertains to a horse, they'll be selling it. Tack and equipment, of course, for the horse. Clothing, uh, horse barns, stalls, fencing, uh, art. And we're having a, a special booth this year for Michigan equine authors. Oh, okay. That we have about nine different uh, Michigan residents who have written books about horses. Some are children's books, some are, are adult, some are general reference. And they'll be there most of the weekend with their books and there to sign for book signings. Now... We're, is that something that's something new this year? That's something new this year. Okay. And is there anything else new this year that will be happening? Outside of our Lansing Christian School children? <laughs> that is new this year. Okay. We're hoping that it goes very well. Uh, the one thing that we're really excited about, there were two groups from Michigan that participated in the 2009 Presidential Inaugural Parade. One of them was the Michigan multi-jurisdictional mounted police color guard and drill team. <laughs> okay. And they will be at the expo this year. Oh, wow. Okay. They'll, they'll have a, a horse and a stall all weekend to talk to people and tell them about their experiences going to wish, going to Washington, how cold it was, how we <laughs> froze to death. And they will be performing their drill on Saturday night and they will uh, participate in the color presentation about noon on both Saturday and Sunday. All right. Well, Marilyn, thank you for coming out today. Um, so once again, this is the Horse Expo that will be running this weekend, March 13th, 14th, and 15th at the MSU Pavilion. And you are listening to Impact 89 FM Exposure. And we're going to take another break, and then we're going to come back and talk about Michigan Works.
You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. All the gamers look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, the Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Hello, it's Tuesday night, and this is Lindsay, and you are listening to Impact 89 FM Exposure Show. And I am joined here by Katie Taikaki of the Michigan Works, uh, the Capital Area Michigan Works. And also, if you have any questions for Katie or myself, you can hit the instant messenger at Impact Exposure. Now, Katie, why don't you give a little overview about what Capital Area Michigan Works is? Well, Capital Area Michigan Works is basically like career services here at Michigan State University, but we serve that function for the entire community. So we work with job seekers to help them develop career and education plans and and pursue those opportunities. And then we also work with businesses to work on recruiting and retention strategies. So we do everything from resumes and interviewing to a little bit of headhunting and helping uh, companies fill vacancies. Okay. And now, what will we be talking about tonight? Um, I understand that you're launching a new initiative, which is? We are launching a new film training program. We've heard a lot in the state of Michigan, a ton of buzz, all about the film industry and Hollywood coming to Michigan with Gray and Torino and George Clooney filming an independent film and uh, all sorts of great stuff happening here in Michigan uh, related to the huge tax incentives that the state of Michigan is now offering to basically bring Hollywood to the state. And so we're trying to make sure that when those companies come to town to film, that they have the qualified people that they need to hire for sets. Now, what kinds of jobs would these people be filling? What will we be learning to do? Well, in the film industry, pretty much everyone starts off at the bottom. This is one of those industries where you got to pay your dues. And we're trying to, we're basically training people for positions that are called production assistant positions. They're honestly gophers. You are the person on the film set that needs to be able to do it all. You need to run around, help step stuff up. If they need you to go to the store, you go to the store. If they need you to grab a cup of coffee, you grab a cup of coffee. But from there, people can work their way up. Um, some of the folks we've seen in the state, you know, Drew Barrymore's personal assistant on the film she shot in Michigan started off as a production assistant. Uh, the film they were shooting down in Jackson with Sigourney Weaver, her personal assistant started off as a production assistant. So there is an opportunity to move into grip, electrical, lighting, and all sorts of different areas from these PA positions. Okay. And what type of training are you giving? What does the program entail? 
Well, the film industry is very different than anything we've ever seen here in Michigan. And so part of what people need to learn is just playing how to act on a film set. What proper etiquette is, don't run up and ask the stars for autographs, how a film set runs. This is not like any job site that you've ever seen. It's long hours, it's very hectic, and you need to know where where to be when and how the whole thing is going to operate. So it goes over that. And then it also goes over some more specific skills like set design and construction, digital asset management, so basically handling um, what goes onto the cameras after it's been recorded, um, and, uh, and grip and electrical, which are some of the other customized areas. And that's just to give people a little bit of a foundation so that if they are on a film set, they have an understanding of that and might be able to move into that career pathway once they get some experience on some films. Now, if a person comes in and they don't know anything about films, where exactly would they start in this training program? Well, everyone starts at the beginning, and you really have to have a passion for this industry. These are going to be competitive scholarships. We're only offering 60 positions in the training program, and everyone's training is going to be completely paid for, which is awesome. But because of that, there's going to be some pretty um, pretty tight competition. We're already seeing a lot of people that have theater experience or background. They love to run tech um, or lights for for local theater productions, people that have film degrees. Um, so, but just because you have that experience doesn't know how you doesn't mean you know how to act on a film set, and it doesn't mean you have the network and the connections to get onto a film set. So that's another huge part of the training program is helping people learn how to search for a job in this industry and how to be successful because you're basically self-employed. Now, how did this program get started? How did Capital Area Michigan Works decide that they wanted to do something like this? Yeah, well, we heard all this buzz and everybody's talking about all the film projects and all the huge investment in film in Michigan. And we wanted to see how we could get some of our people into some of these jobs, you know, how we could help Greater Lansing citizens get some of these really cool jobs and use it as a chance to retain some young talent. You know, so many people leave the area or leave the state and these are awesome jobs and we don't want people to leave. So we started looking into it and it turns out that a lot of people just don't know how to get into this. So we started talking with Michigan State and Lansing Community College, and they've got the expertise and the experience. And so they were willing to put together a program to help us share that with people so that they can be successful. Okay. And um, it says that that this program will provide 80 hours of training. What exactly is included in those 80 hours? Well, that's when they go through. There's like an introduction to film, basically. So like basically... Um, Basically, the overview of what happens on a set, how it happens. There's going to be a job search component, so learning how to find jobs, how to network, what does a resume look like in the film industry because it doesn't look the same. You know, what do you what do you need to do to be successful? And then that's where it goes into some of those specialty areas um, of digital asset management, um, construction and set design, and grip and electrical. And then as a part of their training, um, the 60 participants are actually going to serve as the crew for a. Short Short film. So when they're done with the program, they'll actually have a DVD in hand of a film that they helped create, and um, they'll have basically at least one credit to their name already. Wow. Now, what is your role in all of this? 
Well, I got to really serve as um, sort of as the project manager for this project, which was really fun for me. I got a chance to pull together all the different partners um, and uh, make sure that all the curriculum, you know, got developed, make sure that we were able to get funding to be able to offer these scholarships. So it's been really it's been really fun for me. This has kind of been my baby, honestly. You know, I'm a young professional in the greater Lansing area. I like to I do local theater and I see a lot of my friends that have music degrees or theater degrees. And honestly, they're not doing something they love or they're not working in the industry that they have a passion for. And so for me, it was really fun and exciting to see a chance to help these people get into real jobs where they can make a career, where they can make some money. And my friends aren't all going to move away. <laughs> now, when as you were putting this um, training program together, what types of professionals did you get advice from to put together the curriculum? You know, yeah. who did you talk to to put this together and say, hey, this is how I got here, you know, and this is the way to go up through the industry to get yeah. To where you want to be. Well, both Michigan State and Lansing Community College already had programs that covered some of these subjects. And so really, they were awesome about working with us and working with one another to make sure that they drew upon the strengths of their facilities. And so they're actually going to share faculty. And some faculty from MSU are going to teach, some faculty from LCC are going to teach, and then they're going to share facilities. Some of the classes will happen at LCC's campuses, some will happen at Michigan State, which is great. We're really using the best of what the area has to offer. And then they all reach out to their alumni networks, people that they have working out in Hollywood or working in New York that are, you know, already doing stuff. And we also consulted with Optic in town, um, which is a film, um, a really high-end um, film production house here in Greater Lansing. And these are guys that just do some awesome work. They do the commercials for Audi and do a lot of music videos and stuff like that. And so we, you know, brought them in and said, what do you guys think is important? What are you hearing? You know, what would you want in somebody that you hired? What do we need to train? people in. So it was really a big group effort. And what were some of the things that the film industry people are looking for? Yeah, well, obviously they want people that have a passion for the industry across the board. That's the thing they kept saying. This is hard work. It is hard work, but it can pay well, and you can have a real chance to advance yourself in this industry, but you're not going to be able to deal with it if you don't love it. And so a big thing is just people that are passionate about film, passionate about movies, passionate about entertainment. Uh, you have to be creative. You really have to be a self-starter because you're basically self-employed. When you finish on one film set, you have to be able to go out and get your next job. Um, people have to be willing to work long hours, but you also get um, time off in between productions, too. So this is something perfect for for somebody that doesn't mind, you know, moving out around a lot, doesn't mind working 14, 16 hours for, you know, a month, but then having a month off work kind of thing. So it's really a work hard, play hard kind of industry. And I think it takes a unique personality to fit in there. But for some of these people that can't see themselves sitting at a desk all day long, you know, and just don't want to work in the traditional office environment, this is a great creative outlet. Okay, now um, I'm reading this sheet that you had put out, and I see that this is part of um, the No Worker Left Behind program. Can you explain a little bit about what that program entails and what it's about? Yeah, No Worker Left Behind is a statewide initiative launched by Governor Granholm um, to basically train or retrain 100,000 Michigan citizens in high-demand, high-wage occupations. Um, so far, um, the goal was to train 100,000 people within 18 months, and so far we're about nine months into it, and we're over halfway there. 
Um, so we've trained um, more than 50,000 people in the state of Michigan for high-wage, uh, high high demand opportunities. And it's really a chance to try to change the culture of learning in Michigan. You know, we've got a sense of entitlement. People think that, you know, you can just drop out of high school and go to work for, you know, some big manufacturer and have your cottage up north near Harley Davidson. And that's just not the way the world works anymore. There are people with bachelor's degrees that are struggling to find a job. And so we've got to help people uh, go back to school and get the education in those careers that are going to put you know, put food on the table and give people a meaningful, satisfying career. All right. Now, if people want to check out the training program or anything that Capital Area Michigan Works has to say about training, job training, um, no worker left behind, where would they go? They can visit our website, which is camw.org, as in Capital Area Michigan Works.org. And if they specifically want more information about the film training, it's under latest news, or they can email us at film at camw.net. All right, Katie, thank you so much for coming out tonight. And you are listening to Impact 89FM's Exposure. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. It is Tuesday night, and you are listening to Impact 89FN's Exposure. I'm Lindsay, and I'm here filling in for Emily tonight. And if you have any questions for me or for Kristen Dom with the state news, you can hit us on the AOL Instant Messenger at Impact Exposure. All right, Kristen, I know you are the editor-in-chief at The State News, and The State News is coming up on a 100th year anniversary. Um, tell me a little bit about the anniversary. What's going on for it? Um, well, the anniversary is actually today, March 10th. We hey. celebrate 100 years of publication as The State News. Um, we started out 100 years ago, on March 10th, 1909, as the whole CAD, which uh, is just a different name for a Greek ship that delivered the news. Um, and it was actually in true, I think, Spartan fashion started in response to a series of articles in the the then Lansing State Journal that were attacking MSU students and calling us hooligans and hoodlums and that sort of thing. So started up the whole CAD as a response to have a student voice for Michigan State. Okay. And um, what other stories do you know um, came out that first paper, that first issue? Um, I'm actually not aware. I just know the, the general gist of how we got started, which I think is pretty cool in and of itself. That is really cool. Now, do you know how many staff members they had in the beginning or a rough number of? I don't. It was definitely a smaller group. Right now we have about 200 at most to do everything from writing the stories and 
putting the paper together on the content side to doing the advertising and distributing the paper. So I imagine back then it was only a weekly and now we're a five, a five day, five week or five day daily um, that I imagine it was a very much smaller staff. Okay. And over these past hundred years, what are some of the big events that snoozers have covered? Um, we've done everything from, you know, JFK's assassination to, you know, Martin Luther King coming to campus. Um, just everything, all the wars that have happened in the past hundred years, we've had some kind of localized coverage of. And, you know, most recently we've covered Barack Obama's inauguration and presidential campaign and everything firsthand. We've had people there um, on location, which is pretty cool. Okay. Now, you have been at the State News now for three years. Yes. And what um, positions have you held there? Um, I started off as an intern. I came to MSU as a freshman in August '05 and came in as a freshman, which is pretty unusual because they're very, um, it's very competitive to get into the state news. And so that was kind of cool. And since then, I've worked as um, the housing reporter. So I've covered RHA and the different housing developments that have come on campus and off campus. Um, I served on the academic beat, which means I covered like the provost and the different changes to the academic curriculum. And I covered East Lansing city government and the different developments going on there. And I've served as a copy editor for a couple of semesters and now I'm editor. So. Now, what was your favorite story since you've been there that uh, you've seen appear on the state news? Ooh. That's a hard question. Yeah, that is a really hard question. I think one of the best articles I've seen during my um, state news tenure actually came out this semester, and it was by Jacob Carpenter looking back at um, the the death of Rylan Cotter almost a year or a year ago at that time. And it was really an analysis and a true journalism story of questioning the facts and questioning authority in, in a proper way. It wasn't saying, you know, you're wrong and he's right and, you know, he said, she said. It was... Here's the facts, readers. Decide for yourselves what's going on. Because the, the circumstances of her death are very peculiar and not fully understood on, on her mother's side or the police side. So the fact, the way he laid it out there, I think, was very much um, at the core of what the state news is all about and serving our readers. Now, since we're speaking about history in state news, um, I know that we have snoozers all over the world, the United States, everywhere. I know we have Jeremy Still at the Lansing State mm-hmm. Journal. We have Scott Sandrowski is at, um, what, Newsweek? Yeah, I, I believe, believe so. Mm-hmm. He's, he's bounced around. So. Yeah, we have Esther Gim at the Lansing State Journal. Where else have some of the snoozers ended up? Um, well, we have uh, Justin Kroll. I think you knew him from your tenure at State News. Mm-hmm. He's actually a Variety magazine in Las Vegas or uh, Los Angeles right now. He's covered he covered the Oscars this year and got a drink from Tom Hanks. So that was wow. pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> um, we have people in Chicago, New York, D.C. Um, we have people at Congressional Quarterly, which is a big um, Washington-based publication. Um, we had a reporter overseas covering uh, the Iraq war. I forget for which service, but she was reporting firsthand there. Um, they're just everywhere and anywhere in journalism right now, and which is a, gr- a really great connection of alums that we have to help each other out and kind of spread the, the state news um, atmosphere. Now, what exactly, I know that we have the State News Alumni Association. What exactly do they do for the publication now? Um, they are actually separate, I guess, from the publication from that stance. It's mostly the alums um, trying to give back to the State News. They give scholarships every year um, at our annual spring banquet, um, and they do a lot of, I guess, connection with alums and state current State Newsers and developing that kind of relationship to get current State Newsers to become alums that are still giving back to the organization. Um, and they're really great at doing that and incorporating us in their involvement. 
Okay. And um, what other types of stories have you seen over the years? I know that we, we as a group, <laughs> covered the Michigan Civil Rights Initiative mm-hmm. as well as... Um, you know, President Bush's inauguration right. and now Barack Obama's inauguration. But um, what have some of the other big, maybe local stories that we have been involved in? Let's, well, <laughs> and I guess, again, true Spartan fashion, the, the riots that seem to come every few years or so, um, including last year's. We're actually up for a SPJ or Society Professional Journalists uh, Regional Award for our coverage of that. We just found that out today. Um, so I'm um, the riots that happen like I said, every few years, we're definitely on the scene covering that and trying to get the student perspective as well as the law enforcement perspective. Like in in 2005, there was a real issue of how the riot was handled by the police. And we were firsthand on the scene there to cover that and expose, I guess, the the injustice of how things had happened and how things could be fixed for the future. And that seemed to pay off because things were much better last year. Right. Now, um, do you know when the state news changed its name to the state news as um, opposed to the Holocad? Right. We were the Holocad up until uh, 1925 when uh, actually Michigan Agricultural College became Michigan State College. And so at that point, we became the Michigan State News. Um, And then in, I believe, the 1940s, uh, we became the state news itself. Um, We went actually independent of the university in 1971. So we were separate. as of that point and through now, we're a nonprofit corporation, uh, so which is nice as well, so that the university doesn't have say in what we publish. Right. And why is that important to an organization like the State News? It's that, okay, we can be critical of, say, the Board of Trustees, for example, and say, like a few years ago, Josh Jarman wrote some pieces on how the Board of Trustees may or may not be having, um, I guess, a forthright stance towards what how they make their decisions. And if we were a university publication, they could come in and stop our publication of that, those kind of stories and those kind of criticisms. Whereas being in separate and independent, we, they don't have authority over us. We can question them and have those articles published without a threat to censorship. Now, how is the state news different from other uh, university publications? Why are, why are we considered maybe um, different in the sense that because we are an independent voice? Um, well, we are very much a professional publication that just happens to be run by students. We serve um, upwards of 60,000 readers every day. So we basically are a professional publication in kind of every stance that you can, in a mat, can, you can imagine. Um, and from that regard, it's a great learning uh, process for us as state news uh, employees and workers that we're learning on the job what it takes to be a journalist. And I don't know if you can get that pretty much everywhere at another, you know, state or at another college publication. Um, I mean, there are great other po- college publications out there, but I think the state news pretty sta- is pretty much stands apart as a place where people can learn and grow and serve their community. Now, as the independent voice um, student publication, the state news really strives on honest and truthfulness, fairness, and you know, um, fair coverage and Absolutely. diversity. How did these principles um, evolve over the years, and why are they important to the publication? It's most important in that that's what journalism is about, is being honest and truthful and balanced. And just, like I said with the, the Jacob Carpenter story, laying things out on the table and letting readers decide for themselves and help them make more educated decisions. And in terms of it evolving over the years, I think at the State News, it's been a process of trial and error. And that's, again, the beauty of being an independent publication that's run by students is that we do make mistakes, and it happens, but 
that's the purpose of college is to teach us and prepare us for the real world. So the mistakes we make, we can you know learn from, or we can make decisions that others may not like, but we can stand behind them and saying this is why we did it a certain way. And so just that learning process of trial and error and how things work um, with each generation of the state news is a very valuable lesson in and of itself. Now, when the state news first um, came on the scene in 1909, mm-hmm. um, obviously there was no Internet. Yeah. <laughs> and they weren't doing anything with the Internet. But as the years evolved, um, the Internet has really kind of consumed the media industry. How has the state news kind of conformed to using the web? Um, we launched our website first in 1996, I believe. And at that point, we were one of the first college newspapers to have a website, which was pretty novel in and of itself. And, you know, through the past, what, 13 years at this point, we've definitely gone more online. The newspaper is still a priority because the, the state news was started as a newspaper, and that's kind of our core. But like you say, the journalism of today is moving towards online. And so now we have video, we have audio, we have audio slideshows, interactive graphics, um, uh, basically commenting that readers can get involved in the stories themselves. And that kind of interaction with the community is, I think, another another level of the state news being a service to Michigan State. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the podcasting. Oh, yes, we have podcasting, too. <laughs> the Opinion Desk does podcasting weekly. Uh, the sports does it um, as well weekly, and so does the Features Desk. And it's basically an opportunity for us as staff members to kind of dish about different topics that are going on. Um, like the Opinion Desk will talk about um, more like politics issues, but sometimes lighthearted issues. The Features Desk is more entertainment and fun, and sports is obviously the, the sports element of Michigan State Spartans. and um, the, the sports reporters truly showing their colors as as uh, as smart, educated uh, journalists in that regard. Now, I know that a lot of people get irritated with opinions and things <laughs> like that, and they say that the media is biased mm-hmm. and that, you know, the state news sways things to be reported a certain way and things like that. Why don't you explain the difference between the principles of news coverage and opinion coverage in your publication? Oh, absolutely. That That is definitely something that we see... When people write on online and make a comment, they're like, this is biased journalism, and it's the opinion editorial. It's supposed to be an opinion. And just because it is an editorial doesn't mean that it should be biased or gives it an excuse to be biased. But it means that it is okay to have some sort of slant that, you know, okay, the editorial board of the state news favors the East Village or doesn't favor the East Village project. But in a story, in a news story or features or sports, that's not opinion. That's supposed to be hard fact. And that the people saying those, um, I guess, facts are the ones that are responsible for the opinions in that story. And the journalists are the one that puts it together to give uh, the different sides an opportunity to have their voice. But it doesn't mean that we're injecting our own voice because that's not what news and features and sports are for. The opinion page is where the state news voice has its voice. And those that isn't the voice of individuals on staff or um, it's the it's the voice of the opinion desk and the editorial. Right. As I understand, you have an edit board, which consults and talks to each other to represent the staff opinion. And then that is then put onto the opinion page. Right. Whereas the rest of the paper is not an opinion. Right. It's hard facts and not opinion and not injected opinion at all. 
All right. Well, Kristen, thank you for coming in. Happy birthday to the state news thank today. You. Yes. And you have been listening to Impact 88.9 FM Exposure with Lindsay. Next week, we will be talking again with our usual host, Emily. So you heard it right here on Impact 88.9. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.